0: to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Greetings, conversationalists. Delighted to have you with me. It is Eric Erickson here across the Fruited Plain. The phone number, 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, you can text ERIC to 33777 and sign up for the show notes, the stream, get the podcast. Everything you need. I got to play you this audio from CBS News about their polling that came out over the weekend, shocking everyone. The rate is slowing, but prices
1: are still high. And so when you ask people, "Okay, the jobs market is strong. Yes, they acknowledge that, but their income isn't keeping up with inflation. And that's that immediate pocketbook impact where you see such big numbers say that because prices are still not back at those pre-pandemic levels. Right, and, and when you look at what can be done yeah. from there, people say, okay, well, number one, there's no appetite for more rate hikes. And that's, that's important. That's mm-hmm. affecting a lot of, especially a lot of young people as well. Um, there's a large sense that they think the president can control inflation and look objectively that may or may not be the case but it kind of comes with the job right um they're not certain in fact many aren't sure what exactly the white house has done about all of this and so his handling of inflation in particular
0: remains low there's just not a lot of good news for joe biden out there Let me jump back to something I noted earlier at the White House Christmas party for the media over the weekend. The president could have reassured the media that he's mentally competent to be president. And instead he gave meandering talking points and his wife had to keep reminding him it was a holiday party. He didn't do very well. You've got the public is still upset with the cost of living in the country. You got folks on TV still trying to say that everything is hunky dory, everything's a okay, everything's fine, but Americans are having a hard time. They're they're seventy nine percent of Americans, according to CBS News, believe they're falling behind inflation. Their income can't keep up. The Wall Street Journal has polling out Sean Trindy from Real Clear Politics. Has a breakdown of it. Let me read you some of what he notes. It says Donald Trump has double digit leads on being able to best handle the economy, inflation, crime, securing the border, the Ukraine war, the Israeli conflict. Biden has a double digit lead on abortion rights. Everything else is single digits, which sounds good, except things like health care policy and social security are supposed to be double digit Democratic leads. What really catches my eye are the personal attribute questions mentally up for the job for president, Trump up 16. Physical stamina to be president, Trump up 34. Cares about people like you, Biden up one, a traditional Democratic strength. On core Democratic themes like protecting democracy, Biden only leads by one. He's up 11 on respects democracy, but how the fact Biden's only up 10 on is honest and only down seven on is corrupt doesn't bode well for those themes. What really got me, though, was on page 20, They asked if a president's policies helped or hurt. With Trump, it was 49-37 help. With Biden, it's 23-53 hurt. 53% of Americans say Joe Biden's policies hurt them. 49% of Americans say Donald Trump's policies helped them. There will be trials. There will be changes in news, news cycles. But Biden's already in trouble. Things can change in 11 months. But to win, a lot of these things have to change, according to Sean Trendy, and he's he's right. You know, one of his big strategies is going to be to bring Hillary Clinton out there. That's right. They're going to relitigate 2016. After all the blasting of Trump for the stolen election stuff of 2020, they want to relitigate 2016 with Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail. She'll get you, my pretties, and her little dog, too. Yep, that's, that's the ticket. Let's trot out Hillary Clinton. The Wall Street Journal has another story out. It's separate from the polling, but you can kind of get a sense of why the polling is so bad. Listen to this. Homeownership has become a pipe dream for most Americans, even those who could afford to buy a house just a few years ago. Many would-be buyers are already feeling stretched thin by home prices that shot up quickly higher in the pandemic. But at least mortgage rates were low. Now they're high. Many people are just giving up. It is now less affordable than any time in recent history to buy a home, and the math isn't changing anytime soon. Home prices aren't expected to go back to pre-pandemic levels. The Federal Reserve, which started raising rates aggressively earlier last year to curb inflation, hasn't shown much interest in cutting them. Mortgage rates slipped to about 7% last week the lowest in several months, but they're still more than double what they were two years ago. Typically, high mortgage rates slow down home sales, and home prices should soften as a result, not this time. Home sales are certainly falling, but prices are still rising. There just aren't enough homes to go around. The national median existing home price rose to about $392,000 in October, the highest ever for that month in data that goes back to 1999. there are a lot of fundamental problems working against the Biden presidency right now. To be clear, almost all of them are of his own making. If you'll remember Larry Summers, who had been a Clinton economic advisor, Obama treasury secretary, president of Harvard University, as the Biden administration was taking office, he wrote an op-ed and he said, your COVID relief package is going to provoke inflation. Your COVID relief package, Joe Biden, is gonna provoke inflation. And a whole lot of good progressives said, no, it's not, Larry Summers. We're using new monetary economic policy Uh, We believe the old rules don't apply. And then the old rules came roaring back. Everything the Democrats thought they could change, they've made worse. Crime is worse in cities. Homelessness is worse or unhousedness, whatever you want to say. Education of kids is worse. More and more parents are bailing on public schools for private schools and homeschooling. The economy is worse. It doesn't matter all the talking heads on television saying how great it is, how how great the economy is, that objectively the economy is better. By whose standard is the economy better? Macroeconomically, yes, the United States is doing better than any other country on the planet. In fact, China is collapsing, which is making us do even better. But on a day-to-day basis, the average American is still paying more for stuff than they were a couple of years ago, and their income hasn't kept up. And that, for most Americans, means the economy is not doing well. It doesn't matter what the macroeconomics say when the average American says their life and their standard of living is not what it was. And then on top of that, You have the tone deafness of Joe Biden for so long trying to embrace binomics as a phrase, as a thing. Only to now have Democrats in the House of Representatives walk it back and say, our bad, we're going to stop using that phrase. Turns out it doesn't work. I mean, this is not good for Joe Biden. It's not good for him to think he's got to trot out Hillary Clinton and try to relitigate 2016. It's not good for the Democrats at all to be dealing with this stuff, which is why I I really— I have said for a while that Joe Biden's going to be the nominee, and I do believe Joe Biden wants to be the nominee. But we have reached the point in the race where it is too hard to replace Joe Biden on the ballot or to compete against Joe Biden in a Democratic primary without Joe Biden himself deciding he needs to go away. Unless Joe Biden himself decides he's going to go away, he's going to be the nominee. There is no plan B. For the Democrats who love a plan B, as long as you can buy it over the counter accessibly, easily, preferably with insurance to make sure somebody doesn't have a kid, Democrats sure don't like a plan B this time when it comes to Joe Biden. They want to force everyone to stick with Joe Biden. At some point, they're going to realize it's in time untenable. Here's the ultimate problem for the Democrats. Donald Trump should not be doing as well as he is. That's the problem for the Democrats. Donald Trump should not be doing as well as he is. The Democrats tried everything. Alvin Bragg indicted him in New York. Fonnie Willis indicted him in Georgia. Jack Smith indicted him twice. One in D.C., one in Florida. Jack Smith, by the way, is going to the Supreme Court, filing a petition for an emergency hearing, bypassing a court of appeals to try to get the Supreme Court to say that Donald Trump can, in fact, stand trial for what he's being accused of. Trump is arguing he's got immunity because he was president. All of this should work against Donald Trump. And in fact, there is a lot of underlying polling that suggests if Donald Trump is convicted in any one of these cases, He, in fact, will be toast. Enough swing voters will reject him. But will they really if it's Joe Biden versus Donald Trump? That's the problem for the Democrats, y'all. Joe Biden's not liked. He's not trusted. They don't believe, in fact, that Joe Biden has the mental stamina, the mental ability, the mental acuity to be president of the United States. There is a level of irony here. This is how bad it is for Joe Biden, really. Let let me just sum it up this way. This is how bad it is for Joe Biden. If Donald Trump is reelected president, Donald Trump will be older than Joe Biden was when he became president. Donald Trump will start office older than Joe Biden. Donald Trump will become the oldest elected president over Joe Biden if Donald Trump goes back to office And yet most Americans don't hold that against Donald Trump like they hold it against Joe Biden. And part of that is because Donald Trump is not at the forefront of their mind every day on TV every day. And Joe Biden is with his muddied statements and meandering listless walks around the White House. People realize Joe Biden doesn't have what it takes. They may like him. They may think he cares about them more than Trump, according to the polling he does, but barely. But in a world that is weary and tired and discombobulated, people don't think Joe Biden has what it takes to lead. And if the choice is him or Donald Trump, a lot of people right now are thinking, okay, I'll go with Donald Trump. A conviction probably does change that. But who even knows that these trials can get done before Trump were to get reelected? It's not smart for the Democrats to put all their eggs in Joe Biden's basket. He's probably going to smash the eggs. They're going to have to start thinking about replacing him the polling and the Democrats more than the Republicans, the Democrats do treat the polling as legitimate. And it's not just the media polls. It's not just the Wall Street Journal poll, the NBC poll, the Washington Post poll, the ABC poll, the CNN poll, the Fox News poll. It's the Democrats on pollsters, Dan Greenberg, James Carville, and others that are all showing the warning signs for the Democrats. At some point, the Democrats are going to have to realize when 76% of Americans believe Joe Biden's economy has made them worse off, Those Republican or those voters are going to vote Republican, not Democrat, because they blame the Democrats, not the Republicans, for being worse off than they were when the Republican president was Donald Trump. People remember Trump's administration and remember their lives didn't suck as much, even if they didn't like the guy. And at some point, that means something to the voters, and it means something very bad for the Democrats. Welcome back. Yeah, the phone number is 877-973-7425. Ryan's been waiting patiently. Ryan, welcome to The Eric Erickson Show. How are you? Ryan, you there? Yes, sir. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. What's going on?
2: Well, uh, thank you for having my call. I uh, I had noticed that there were some videos circulating online about a Let's Go Brandon chant, although the dirty one. Uh, circulating at the Army-Navy game, and uh, I just returned from that game, and I can tell you that as an, absolutely a hoax, uh, that chant never happened. I was sitting directly above the Corps of Cadets and very need the uh, Brigade of Midshipmen, and, uh, and that chant never happened, and so I, I'm curious. Now, I don't see it on a lot of American mainstream media. I have seen it on Twitter or X. I've seen it on YouTube. I've seen it reported in the Daily Mail, um, so I'm curious as to, uh, number one, why you think something like that would be faked, and, B, who do you think that that actually would benefit to faking something like that?
0: Yeah, okay, great question. Um, so first of all, um, the, it was dubbed, and in fact several media outlets have now come out and said uh, that uh, if you look at the original audio that's all over social media, Uh, Clearly, they were not chanting uh, F. Joe Biden, but it it was dubbed over, um, and it doesn't align if you pay close attention to the lips of of the people. So, yeah, it it circulated. There is, uh, among people on the right, there are a couple of groups out there that specialize in memification. There are are 20-something strategists who believe that memes win the day, memes win everything. And so they take stuff like this and try to make it go viral on the Internet to uh, signal that there is outrage against Joe Biden or or against any particular politician. Um, But there are tricksters and others who do this, and they do want to embarrass Joe Biden. They want to help. A lot of them are aligned with Donald Trump. Um, They circulate this stuff among certain uh, closed groups on the different messaging apps and they try to make these things go viral. That's what's going on here. Um, And and, you know, deep fakes are gonna be a real problem. What AI can do is becoming more and more impressive in uh, producing this sort of stuff. And in fact, uh, it does appear, by the way, I'm looking, uh, it, it seems the organization that pushed this out in particular was a conservative news aggregator Um, that, um, is pushing the story out most aggressively, um, which is to be expected. This sort of stuff resonates among conservatives. Um, and just like if they did it like the people who supposedly did that to Trump resonated with the left, um, both sides want to believe what they want to believe when it comes to hating the other side. Now, i got to move on. Patriot Mobile, uh, they want your cell phone business. They'll give you guaranteed great service from Patriot Mobile. And not only will they give you guaranteed great service, but they will fund the causes you care about as a conservative as their profits grow. You go to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric today, PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You move your cell phone service to them. You get guaranteed great service. Using the same cell towers you're probably already using. You get discounts. You're a veteran, a first responder, an NRA member, a teacher. Got a lot of lines for your house because you got a lot of kids who need cell phones. They can take care of you, give you good discounts. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. You can also call them if you don't want to do it over the Internet. You call them at 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. You tell them I sent you. You get great service using the same cell towers you're probably already using. You get 5G data voice all you need. And as their profits grow, they're giving to the conservative causes you care about grow from the Second Amendment to the pro-life movement, to even funding the campaigns of parents, conservative parents who are running against woke school board members. They engage on your behalf. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972 Patriot. Go move your cell service to them today. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things
1: running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
0: Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the phone number 877 973 7425 if you want to be on the program. Over the weekend and then today, the New York Times and a couple of other news publications of the left have run Republicans pounce headlines about the anti-Semitism on college campuses. Republicans pounce on the presidents of Harvard and MIT and the University of Pennsylvania. Republicans pounce on rising anti-Semitism in college campuses to relitigate culture war issues, among other things very notable that in light of the anti-Semitism on campuses, what these headlines kind of admit is that Democrats are not. Now, in fairness, there is actually bipartisan outrage over what these college presidents said. And I, 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 I don't want to make a partisan point on this. I really don't. Because when you have bipartisanship on an issue like this, uh, it deserves to be commended. To hear those college presidents say what they said and to have bipartisan outrage is a good thing. What's notable is that the New York Times chose to cast this as Republicans' pounce as opposed to bipartisan outrage. The New York Times can't help that it wants to frame this in some way critical of Republicans. But the larger issue here is a wake up call among people as to what's going on. I want to play for you this exchange between um, Ali Velsi and Is it Hanan Ashrawi from uh, Gaza, who's a longtime spokeswoman? I thought she was dead, but I think it's it's her. Um, But listen to this very carefully. Listen to this exchange with Ali Velshi because of something that doesn't happen.
1: The mechanisms probably will have to involve international engagement. And certainly the U.S. administration has disqualified disqualified itself completely. This administration has proven to be party to the conflict, has aided and abetted genocide, has funded it, has sent weapons to to Israel without any kind of uh, restraints and accountability and then talks about two-state solution. Again, it's disingenuous. Kill fewer people, they say. Well, don't kill any people. That's what we're saying. And let's start immediately with a cessation of Israel's aggression and massacres and genocide, and then let's inject some kind of justice and respect for international law and humanitarian law, which Israel has totally rejected from the
2: beginning. It sounds like those things that you outline are a long way away, but we must discuss them in the hopes that they uh they appear sooner than we we all hope. Hanana Shrawi, as always,
0: thank you for joining us. Yep, it was Hanana Shrawi. She, Hanana Shrawi. Let me let me let me do this. Sorry, I'm my I, I how do I want to say this? I want to say it this way. On the Comcast owned network MSNBC, Palestinian, longtime Palestinian activist Hanana Shrawi said the United States was complicit in aiding and abetting genocide of a people. And the anchor on the Comcast owned MSNBC, Ali Velshi, did not. Correct her, did not challenge her, did not push back at her, but accepted her statement as fact. An American news anchor on an American news network, MSNBC, when hearing The United States is complicit in genocide, didn't challenge it, just accepted it as fact. Can you imagine, can you imagine if a Republican anchor on Fox were to have accepted absurd allegations against Barack Obama, everyone else in the media would have pounced. But yet, it's always the Republicans who pounce. It's never the Democrats. It's always the Republicans who seize on something. It's never the Democrats. And in this case, what is it? The rise of anti-Semitism on college campuses. The New York Times says it's the Republicans who are pouncing on this, which means the Democrats aren't. You have the Democrats on MSNBC instead attacking the Biden administration, claiming they're engaged in genocide with Israel. the American media has been so polluted by intersectional wokeism and critical theory that it can't be a moral voice and, in fact, elevates the immoral voices and the amoral voices who have access to grind. Hannah Ashrawi has long been a defender of the Palestinian cause, long back to when Yasser Arafat was there. She used She's a Palestinian Christian, and she would use that as a way to try to weave her way into evangelical groups and gain sympathy for the Palestinian cause. She's always been an activist for the Palestinian cause. And she has, along the way, blasted at every opportunity Israel and the Jews. What should be a wake-up call to Comcast is that you've got rid of Mehdi Hassan now Ali Velshi had been at Al Jazeera for a while and elsewhere. You've got that guy on television refusing to even challenge the notion that the United States is in some way complicit to or engaged in genocide. Meanwhile, you've got the liberal media, the New York Times and the like, out. Noting by absence, by burying the lead, that the Democrats haven't really done anything about rising anti-Semitism, and yet actually to the Democrats' credit, if we're intellectually honest on this, they were as outraged by these college campus presidents as the Republicans were. But the New York Times ignores them because there are enough progressives out there who don't want to challenge, don't want to change, and don't want to push back on the anti-Semitism that it would be bad for them to note that these Democrats did so. It's just an interesting sign of the times that the New York Times can't give Democrats credit for pushing back on anti-Semitism and instead turns it into a blame the Republicans for pushing back on it. Somehow it's it's the Republicans who are bad for pushing back on what exactly anti-Semitism. <laughs> Niles Ferguson has a piece, at the free press for near if, oh stupid pop-up windows getting in the way in 1927 the french philosopher julian benda published la Traison de Clerc," the treason of the intellectuals which condemned the descent of european intellectuals into extreme nationalism and racism by that point although benito mussolini had been in power in italy for five years Adolf Hitler was still six years away from power in Germany and 13 years away from victory over France, but already Benda could see the pernicious role that many European academics were playing in politics. Those who were meant to pursue the life of the mind, he wrote, had ushered in the age of the intellectual organization of political hatreds. And those hatreds were already moving from the realm of the ideas into the realm of violence, with results that would be catastrophic for all of Europe. A century later, American academia has gone into the opposite political direction, leftward instead of rightward but has ended up in much the same place. The question is whether we, unlike the Germans, can do something about it. For nearly 10 years, rather like Benda, I have marveled at the treason of my fellow intellectuals. I have also witnessed the willingness of trustees, donors, and alumni to tolerate the politicization of American universities by an illiberal coalition of woke progressives, adherents of critical race theory, and apologists for Islamic extremism. Throughout that period, friends assured me that I was exaggerating. Who could possibly object to more diversity, equity, and inclusion on campus? In any case, weren't American universities always left-leaning? Were my concerns perhaps just another sign that I was the kind of conservative who had no real future in the academy? Such arguments fell apart after October 7th as the response of radical students and professors to the Hamas atrocities against Israel revealed the realities of contemporary campus life That hostility to Israeli policy in Gaza regularly slides into anti-Semitism is now impossible to deny. You know, what's really striking is a couple of Hanukkah displays around the country have been vandalized. If it's not about, if it's not supposed to be about the Jews but Israel, which is what they say, then why are menorahs? being targeted for vandalism. Because it's always been about the Jews. When you embrace the idea of critical theory and intersectionalism, you come away with a perverted sense of world history. I want to read for you a a tweet which is, in my mind, remarkable. Now, granted, it comes from just some low-follower account on Twitter, but it's actually really telling that someone like this would put this up. So Mark Zell is the vice president for Republicans Overseas and co-chairman of Republicans Overseas for Israel. He has a son who has signed up to help the Israeli Defense Forces fight they're in the Gaza Strip. Several of his son's comrades and his brigade have been killed or seriously wounded. He's not heard from his son. He doesn't know if his son is living or alive. Living or alive, living or dead. And so someone responds to him as an American, why is your son fighting for, a, for an army? Person responded to that guy asking the question. Said his son is Jewish and fighting to make sure there remains a Jewish homeland, to which this random person on the internet, steeped in critical theory, replies that he can go live in Brooklyn, or Poland, or Russia, where Jews actually came from, and leave Canaanites to live in the land they're indigenous to. This person believes the Jews came from Russia, Poland, or Brooklyn not from Israel, has revised history to accommodate a worldview that is antithetical to fact, that is perpetuated on American campuses. And then you have people like Ali Velshi on MSNBC giving voice to those who would accuse the United States of genocide. Can you imagine if someone had stood a, been on MSNBC with Ali Velshi and said the 2020 election was stolen, the meltdown he would have? But to have Hanan Ashrawi from the Palestinians on television to accuse the United States of genocide and he gives her a pass, does not challenge her, accepts it as if it's the truth that we are engaged in this. These people loathe the United States. These people loathe what we stand for. These people wish to subvert and pervert freedoms of the United States and the power and the leadership of the United States. And college academics have been complicit in this. And that the New York Times would note it's only the Republicans pouncing on this and not the Democrats is a pretty damning indictment of the Democratic Party. Even though I've noted it was actually bipartisan outrage in Congress about what these academic college professors had said, the fact that the New York Times has to cast it as only the Republicans care about it and cast it in such a way as to seem like it's bad that Republicans care about it tells you everything you need to know about the moral clarity or lack thereof of the Democratic Party today. Polling shows most Americans overwhelmingly favor supporting Israel, and only the Democrats are divided. Only the Democrats are divided. The Democrats are divided over oil production in the United States and whether or not it's a good thing. The Democrats in this country are divided over transgenderism, and nobody else is. Democrats are divided on all of these issues, which tells you how much rot there is in the Democratic Party that the media keeps covering for. But by God, you go on television and say the United States committed genocide. At least if you're on Comcast on NBC products, you can get away with it without being challenged because those people really do not care for this country. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Too late for you to call in at this point, Um, but that's okay. We got plenty of stuff we got to talk about here At the end, as we do the rundown, uh, Navalny has gone missing. Alexei Navalny, he is the most prominent opposition leader. He's presumed now to be having carted off in the middle of the night to a gulag. He's been a thorn in Vladimir Putin's side. Um, I got to say... um, there's a fear scenario. You know, I I support funding the Ukraine war effort, and and uh, Volodymyr Zelensky is in Washington D.C. trying to make the case, and I think we should help uh, provide the Ukrainians arms uh, so that we're not over there fighting. Which I know some probably would like. I'm I'm kind of opposed to us sending our kids to Ukraine. The Ukrainians don't want us; they just want to buy them buy weapons. But there is this, the hysteria as as reality is sitting in. You know, I think J.D. Vance is right that the Ukrainians are going to ultimately have to give up some of their territory. They may not want to, but that's the reality here. And I believe and I'm told behind the scenes that um, the Biden administration has come to that conclusion and is slowly trying to convince the Ukrainians that that's going to be the necessity of it. I just kind of think that this fear scenario that, oh, my gosh, if we let the Russians – win in Ukraine or or get any sort of territory, they're going to invade everywhere else. I, I think that's kind of overblown. It is certainly true the Russians have ambitions on Moldova and elsewhere, but I think at this point, so many of them have been killed. They've been ground down enough that they don't have the capabilities to do things. I think they probably did originally think, we could very easily take Ukraine, go to Moldova. We, we could ex- expand the Western sphere, the, the Russian sphere of influence. I, I think at one point they wanted to, they thought they could and they probably would have steamrolled through. They really did think NATO was weak and so divided. But at this point, I don't see how it's possible. I think we should help the Ukrainians. Because I don't think we need the Russians to take over Ukraine. I do think the Ukrainians are going to have to give up some territory. But if we don't help them, the Russians, I think, will be emboldened on a greater scale, not not to invade, but to surreptitiously disrupt. They've been spending a lot of money to play in elections around the world, to disrupt different political parties, to build media apparatus that spread disinformation. The Chinese as well, and the the Iranians with them. I, I we we don't want to embolden them. But as much as I want to support the Ukrainian war effort, at some point it's going to have to dawn on them that you're giving up some territory. Like it or not, you lost some territory, and in having lost that territory, you're going to have to uh, recognize that um, you got you got changes that are coming to your country. It's something they don't want. I realize it's something they fought hard to prevent. I realize, but they launched a counter operation against the Russians and it wasn't successful. Uh, the heart of winter is beginning to come. Things are going to wind down in the fighting effort there, uh, they're running low on resources. Something's going to have to give. And if the president were smart, he would begin to push Zelensky that we'll give you money, we'll give you weapons, we'll stockpile and arm you. But you're going to have to start thinking about what territory are you going to officially recognize as now part of Russia, including Crimea, which is the biggest claim of the Russians to it. The Russians have long had a historic claim, going back to Catherine the Great, the Empress of Russia, the Tsarist of Russia. They're going to have to think about that. At the same time, we're going to have to think about what we can do to help Israel, and this White House seems to be going wobbly because they don't want to offend progressives by supporting Israel doing what it has to do to get rid of Hamas. Even Bernie Sanders is providing more moral clarity. We can't accommodate Hamas. We need to kill them off, and we should allow the Israelis to do it.